All right. I'm going to uh, admit to a little bit of a guilty pleasure that I've had over the last year, and it's gotten really bad, okay? So I have, uh, over this last year, I've started watching the show Survivor. I don't know if you know the show Survivor. It's still on, and there's still new episodes of the show Survivor. I had no idea that it was still going, or maybe I had a little bit idea until a year ago that this show is still going. It has not been canceled yet. If you don't know the show Survivor, essentially this is the show Survivor. They send people to an island. They have to survive on the, on the island with a bare minimum of materials. And then while they're on the island, they're in different teams, and they're in different relationships, and they're trying to last the longest until they're at the end and that they can win the money by getting all of their former teammates to vote for them. And then while they're doing that, they play all sorts of games against each other, all sorts of... So if it wasn't bad enough that they're surviving on an island, they're like, let's play in a gymnasium type of a thing. Let's use a giant slingshot and throw it at something. And so, uh, so this is Survivor. I've gotten really into it over the last year. I don't know what happened. I just turned it on one day and I was just like, I, I want to watch this and I want to watch more of this. And so I got really into Survivor. But what does Survivor have to do with the Gospel of John? We're in the Gospel of John today. We're, we've been in the Gospel of John off and on over the last year or so. And so what does Survivor have to do with the Gospel of John? Well, today in John chapter 15, we're going to be talking about what it means to abide in Christ, what it means to continue in Christ, what it means to continue dwelling in Christ. That there's this active continuing in Christ that Jesus is calling us to. And this reminded me of Survivor. And it's probably because I've been watching too much Survivor. But Survivor is a game of abiding. It's a game of continuing. Not only do they have to continue surviving without giving up, they have to continue in the relationships they have without being betrayed or uh, while also betraying. But then the games themselves, these little games that they make them play, so many of the games are just abiding games. Like one of the games is, th this is like a real game in Survivor. They tie your wrist to a rope and you, you have to hold your wrist up and it's connected to a bucket and if you drop your wrist, the bucket of water dumps on you. And that's the game. That's it. And like the water doesn't even matter. It's just who can hold their arm up the longest. And so you have these people just abiding in this game. Like the way to win the game is to continue, to keep going, to hold their arm up as long as possible. And you have people there for hours. And I'm always just looking at the fingertips. I'm like, well, how long could someone do this without losing a finger? And it, it's a long time, guys. <laughs> It's ours. And so Survivor is a show about abiding, and that reminds me of our call to abide in Christ because I think as Jesus invites us in and commands us to abide in him, at times we stop abiding in Christ or we don't fully abide in Christ because it's difficult, because it gets hard. Right? If I was on the game Survivor and they're like, hey, play this game where you can hold your arm up, like, one minute in, I'd be like, I don't care, right? I know a million dollars online, I don't care, my arm hurts. And I think sometimes when it comes to abiding in Christ, that's kind of how we go. we go. The second abiding in Christ becomes uncomfortable for us, we're out. We don't want to abide anymore. And so my hope today is that we would listen to Jesus' calling to abide in him, although it can be difficult, 
and realize that Jesus has some promises in here, in this passage that we'll be in, that he says that when you abide in him, that's where you're going to find true joy. That's where we're going to find true happiness is when you abide in Christ. And so we're actually going to be talking about abiding in Christ this week and next week. This passage is broken up into two parts for us. And we're going to take some time to look at what it means for us to abide, what it means for us to answer that call that at times can be difficult. Okay, and so here's what we're going to do today. As, as we look at what it means to abide, we are going to get into John chapter 15. We're going to read through the first 11 verses of John chapter 15 together. And then there's five things that I want to pull from these verses. There's going to be five things that I want to pull from these verses. And each one of these five things are going to be something that will help us in our calling in Jesus' invitation to abide. So each one of these five things will help us in our calling to abide in Christ, to continue in Christ, okay? So let's turn, let's go to John chapter 15. Uh, and uh, yeah, as we turn there, I'll give you a little recap on where we've been. So Jesus is headed towards the cross. Jesus is headed towards the cross and he's pouring his, or he's pouring his heart out to his disciples. He's sharing his love with them. He's telling them all of the ways that he loves them. He's showing them how much he loves them. And then the disciples are kind of freaking out about this idea of Jesus going away and they don't know what to do. And so Jesus is preparing them for what's going to probably be the three hardest days in most of their lives. And so, uh, so Jesus is teaching them different things that will help prepare them for while he's gone. But the things that Jesus teaches them, I'm sorry, this mic is, this is my fault today. I tried something different with the mic and it's doing that. Sorry. But uh, what he teaches them to prepare them with will actually also prepare us to live because Jesus has ascended. And even though he's given us the spirit, it helps us to live as disciples here and now. Okay. So let's do John chapter 15. Let's read verse one and go all the way verse through, for, through verse 11 together. It says this, this is Jesus to the disciples. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, let's stop there. Okay, so five things that I want to pull from this passage that will help us listen to this command to abide in Christ. So the first thing that I want to pull from this passage is this. Jesus 
is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Okay, grape vines were really important for Israel for a variety of reasons. One, the, that Palestinian, Palestinian region that they lived in, grape vines grow easily and grew easily. And so uh, the vine became a kind of like a symbol for Israel in all sorts of ways because it was something that they, they could grow a lot of uh, in their country. And so it was a source for a lot of food for them, right? They didn't have grocery stores back then. You had to actually grow stuff. And so the vine is the picture of like a grocery store for them in a lot of ways. And so it gave them grapes, gave them raisins, it gave them wine. And so the grapevines were so important that God actually uh, made the grapevines something that were used to care for all sorts of people that would be in Israel at different times. So this was to care for the sojourners, so the, the immigrant, the person passing through Israel or traveling into Israel wanting to find life in Israel. Uh, the, the grapevines were used to care for the fatherless, the poor, and the widow. Because the, the, the guys that grew the vineyards and, and tended to the vineyards, they were told, hey, don't take all the grapes so those groups could come in and take what they need so that they could uh, live in the land as well. The, the, the vines were so important that there's Old Testament laws about vines, like, like the Ten Commandments. There's Old Testament laws about vines. One of the Old Testament laws is Deuteronomy 20. It says, hey, if someone plants a vineyard, he is exempt from military service. This is how important the vines were. If you made a vine, if you made a grape vineyard, you didn't have to go to war. Another law that, that, that was in Deuteronomy 22, it says, uh, God wanted to make sure that in these vineyards, they didn't plant other kinds of plants among these vines. That there's a law saying, hey, don't plant other plants among these vines because that's how important these vines are for you as a people to survive and live and flourish in this land. Because if they started planting other plants amongst these vines, then they would all be kind of fighting for the water and resources and different things. And, and it was so important that they grew these vines well. So the vines were important to Israel. The vine in the Old Testament, after those laws, begins to become the symbol of a few things. One of the symbols it becomes is like the symbol of God's favor on Israel itself. But then God even begins to use this vine imagery to talk about Israel, where he says, Israel is the vine. If you look at Psalm 80 and Isaiah, it uses this imagery and it talks about Israel as being this vine that God took out of Egypt and planted in Israel, in their land, to flourish. Now this is intentional imagery by God because not only was the vine God's, uh, an image of God's blessing and favor and, and life, but he was saying Israel was that vine. And so what, what God is saying when he's saying, hey, I'm planting Israel like a vine, is not only is the vine itself a source of life and a picture of God's favor and blessing, but Israel themselves were supposed to become a source of life and a picture of God's favor and blessing in the world. Remember, Abraham's call was he was blessed by God in Genesis to be a blessing to the nations. So God plants Israel like a vine in order that Israel can bless the nations. Be a picture of God's favor, be a giver of God's favor, and a giver of God's blessing to the nations. 
That is part of God's, uh, that was part of God's intent for Israel. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, this vine imagery continues to be used about Israel, but in some different ways. In the prophets, in particular, in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, it begins to talk about Israel as a vine, but it's not the vine that God planted. It is now a wild vine, producing wild grapes, doing its own thing. The message to Israel is clear. God planted you to be a blessing. You are not a blessing. You are not listening to your calling to produce God's favor and blessing in the world. All of that imagery would have been well-known to the disciples. It would have been well-known to the Israelites. They would have known all of these things. So when Jesus says to them, hey, I'm the true vine, all of that imagery is in their head. They know what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yes, I know Israel was supposed to be the vine, and they've missed their calling. They've forgotten their calling. They left their calling. Jesus goes, I'm actually the true vine. I'm actually the true source of God's favor and blessing and life for the world. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true way that God's blessing will come into the world. He will succeed where Israel failed. That's what Jesus is communicating to the disciples, that God tried to bring life, he tried to bring favor, he tried to bring blessing through Israel, but they weren't the true vine the way that Jesus is the true vine. We have to notice what Jesus is doing all throughout the Gospel of John. Every time he does this, I want us to notice this, Jesus makes audacious claims about himself. If you don't read the Gospels closely and you hear somebody from outside the church say, Jesus never made these big claims about himself, it sounds true until you really read the Gospels. And especially the Gospel of John, where Jesus goes, I'm the true vine. He's not saying, I'm the true thing you could nom on, right? Like, this is just like really interesting thing. Like, you know, he's saying he is the source of life for the world. He's the source of life for Israel, but he's also the source of life for the world. That's what Israel was always supposed to be. He's God's favor in the flesh. He's God's blessing in the flesh. Jesus makes these huge claims about himself. So if you're, you're out there and you're going, Jesus is just a good teacher, you're not being honest. He was crazy if you think that. Or he was that. And so the, the, what Jesus is telling the disciples in this moment when he says he's the true vine, he's saying he is where we find life. He is where we find God's blessing. He is where we find God's favor. He's the vine. If you want life, if you want blessing, if you want God's favor, you can only find those things in Jesus. Jesus is where those things are found. Life's not found in religion. Life's not found in spirituality. Life's not found in the good things of this world. Life's not even found in our endless pursuit of the happiness chemicals of dopamine and serotonin and endorphins. 
Life's not found in any of those things. What Jesus is communicating here is life is found in the person, and the person is himself. Life is found in Jesus. Jesus is the true vine that each and every one of us is looking for. He's the true life that each and every one of us is looking for. He's the source of life we want. He's the source of life we need. We have to see that Jesus presents himself like that. Church, I hope that we could see that Jesus is the life. Don't see this gathering as the life. See Jesus as the life. Don't see your dream job as the life. See Jesus as the life. Don't see riches as the life. See Jesus as the life. Don't see whatever vision of life you have as the life. See Jesus as as the life. He's the true vine. He's the true source of, of life. If we are going to abide in Jesus well, we have to understand why we're abiding well, and it's because he is the true vine. He is the true source of life. He, a person, the God-man in the flesh, is the source of life. We will not abide well if we don't realize that that's true about Jesus. He is the source of life. He is life. All right? Okay, second thing that I want to pull from this passage is this. Jesus is calling us to abide in him, and we are branches of the vine. Jesus is calling us to abide in him, and we are branches of him. We are branches of the vine, okay? So what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage is to continue in him, to dwell in him, almost in a sense to make our homes in him, to make our constant lives in him, which sounds weird because he's a person, You're kind of going, well, if you're a person, how do I make my home in you? But Jesus, that is what he's inviting us to do. And he fleshes this out for us by giving us some feet. And we'll get some more feet next week to what it means to abide. But he fleshes this out for us by saying, okay, this is what it means to make your home in me. He says two things in particular in these first 11 verses. He says, abide in his love and obey his commandments. That this is how we abide in Christ. We abide in his love and we obey his commandments. So to abide in Jesus first is to abide in his love. We as the church need to be in Jesus' love. We, need, we are fueled by Jesus' love. We go back to his love over and over. We think about his love time and time and time again. This is really why we read the Bible It's to continue in his love. This is why we pray. We are having a loving conversation with a God who loves us. This is why we sing. We are diving into the love of God through worship and praise with our voices. We are called to abide in Jesus. And part of that calling is specifically to abide in his love. Don't be the sort of Christian that abides in Jesus without abiding in his love. That's part of the call. To dive deeper into his love, to think about his love, to, to, to stay in his love. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in his love. Which is good news because there is just something in each and every one of us as humans that knows love is important. You can get people from all sorts of worldviews, and the vast majority of our world would say love is important. 
It's because it is. It's because God is love. It's because he made us to love him. He made us to be loved by him. He made us to love others. He made us to be loved by others. Love is at the center of what God is doing. And Jesus right here says, abide in my love. We as Christians need to abide in his love. But uh, this abiding, Jesus has another component to the abiding. That's not just abiding in his love. It is also obeying his commandments. A way to abide in Jesus is to obey his commandments, to listen to his teachings, to live out his teachings. Over these last couple chapters, Jesus is not letting this go. As much as we love to avoid this idea of obeying Christ, Jesus is not letting this idea go. If we are disciples of Christ, if we want to abide in Jesus, what Jesus says as one of the ways to abide in him is to obey his commandments. We've lost the sweetness of obeying Christ. Obeying Christ is good for us. Not just because we were made to obey Christ, I think we were, but because obeying Christ leads to true human flourishing. When we obey Christ, we're living into what life is supposed to be like. And as we obey Christ, Christ says that's abiding. As we look to live out these commands that Jesus gives, all sorts of commands on how to live life, Jesus says that's abiding in him. This is why it drives me absolutely crazy. There's been this kind of new thing in the church. It's not that new. There's nothing new under the sun. But in recent years and months, there's been this new thing where certain Christians, people who are legitimate Christians, are asking the question, what does it mean for me to love my neighbor? And I'm going to follow this out, and I'm going to do my best to love my neighbor in all sorts of ways. And I'm sure they fall short, and I'm sure sometimes they're not doing it right. But at the core, there's a whole bunch of Christians who are going, what does it mean for us to love our neighbor as ourselves?" One of Jesus's commands Possibly the most important command, right in line with loving God with all your heart, Jesus says. And there's these people going, hey, we need to love our neighbor. And then there's these other groups of Christians. And if it wasn't happening in our midst, I wouldn't even address it, but it is, going, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And guess what? You're right. It's not the gospel. It's not the good news. Obeying Jesus' command is not the good news that saves each and every one of us. But it's a part of our discipleship. It's a part of our response to the gospel. And so I just, it drives me up a wall lately when someone's like, hey, I'm trying to love my neighbor in this way. And they go, that's not, you've made a works-based gospel. And I just want to say, are we reading the same Jesus? Are we listening to his commands? He says, a way to abide in him is to follow his commands. And if I don't love my neighbor, I'm not following his commands, which means I'm not abiding in Christ. Let us not be the sort of church that says obeying God's commands is bad for us. Listen, there's people that get legalistic with it. We repent of that. We rebuke that. All that kind of stuff. But when someone at their core is trying to follow Jesus' commands and we say, that's not the gospel, we're basically kind of saying, like, they're not a Christian. When what they are doing is listening to Jesus and trying to follow his command to abide well. 
to obey his commands. And so church, for us to abide well, for us to listen to Jesus calling to abide well, we're called to do two things. We're called to abide in his love and obey his commands. And as we abide in Jesus, this beautiful thing happens. In one sense, we are in him and he is in us. Like the imagery is used, he's this vine and we are the branches of the vine. Christianity is crazy because it's going to say, hey, God is in you and you are in God. There is this union we get because of what Jesus has done. This is insane that we are so connected to Jesus that he refers to us as branches of the vine. We are part of him. He's part of us. Okay, uh, so abide in Christ by listening to his commands and by abiding in his love. Uh, the third thing that I want to pull from this passage is this. God the Father is the vine dresser, and he wants us to be fruitful, and he prunes us. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. God the Father is the vine dresser, and he wants us to be fruitful, and he prunes us. So Jesus the Son is the vine we are the branches, and God the Father is the one who tends to the vine, and in particular, tends to the branches. He is the gardener. He's going around making sure things are growing properly and things are in their proper place. God the Father is our vine dresser, and one of the Father's goals for us as the branches is that we would be fruitful, that we wouldn't just exist as branches hanging off of Jesus, but that we would exist as fruitful branches. When God wants us to be fruitful, what he's saying is, my fruit, God's fruit, his work, he wants that to come out through us. His love, his blessing, his sources of life, he wants to come through the church, through those that believe in Jesus, through the disciples of Christ. He wants us to be fruitful. God wants the fruit of his labor to grow from us. This is also crazy to me. God wants the fruit of his labor to grow from us, the branches. God wants us to be fruitful, church. He wants us to replicate the works of Jesus in this world. If you're going, I'm not sure what it means to be fruitful, look at Jesus' life, look at how he brought about restoration, and attempt to do likewise, in the power of the Spirit, of course. But that's what it means to be fruitful. There are good works that God has for us that bring life, that bring God's favor, in a sense, that bring his blessing into the world, and he wants us to be fruitful with those works. He wants us to bear fruitful, bear fruit. He has prepared good works for each and every one of us. And God the Father wants us to bear the fruit of those works, which is to actually do them. And because it's so important to God that we bear fruit, God prunes us. God the Father prunes us. And pruning is just like what it sounds like. God cuts away things in our life that are stopping us from being fruitful. He cuts away things that are attached to us that stop us from being fruitful 
but when he cuts them away, it will cause us to be more fruitful. And it's painful. I think that imagery there about cutting things away and pruning, I think we're supposed to realize that sometimes when God prunes us, it, it's painful. Walking in Christ will bring a pruning into our life that is painful. I wish I could say, ah, I figured out a way to say that God's pruning of us is not painful, but it is. At times when God prunes things in our life, it's painful. I'm not saying all suffering is God's pruning. I don't think that at all. But I do think some of our suffering, some of our pain is God pruning us so that we could be more fruitful for him. There's going to be seasons in each of our lives as Christians where God will keep us from going deeper into sin or keep us from fruit, fruitlessness by cutting things out. By cutting out the idols that we worship instead of God. By cutting out the sins that we commit over and over again. And even cutting out situations we're in. And he'll cut these things out so that we'll be fruitful. And it's, it, it will be painful. And it will discombobulate us at times. And at times when this pruning happens, it's even hard for us to continue in Christ. But I promise you it's for our good. It's for our fruitfulness. I, I, just, went through, I just went through a pruning year. I just went through a pruning year where God was cutting out all sorts of things in my life and he was pruning me and it did discombobulate me and it was painful and my prayers were all over the place. A lot of my prayers were like, God, why are you doing this? God, what's going on? God, could it be different? I remember there was a time where the pruning just felt so intense, the suffering felt so intense that I'd go to pray and my prayers for like an hour would just be, God, I can't remember how to pray. I have the Lord's Prayer memorized. But there was just something in me going, God, I, I, I didn't forget the Lord's Prayer. I was just going, I don't know how to pray right now. I can't remember how to pray. And then I'd walk 20 more steps. And I'd be like, I don't know how to pray, God. And I'd walk 20 more steps. I don't know how to pray, God. That's how intense the pruning got for me. To where even just praying, I was like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do here. But... God the Father did that in his goodness. He pruned things out of my life that were important to prune out. There were seeds in my heart growing that would have turned into sinful, destructive things that had not God pruned those things out, I would have gone deeper into sin in all sorts of ways. I would have gone deeper into being destructive in all sorts of ways. And so as painful as pruning is, it's part of the life of the disciple of Christ. But it's so good for us. And we have a good father who is our vine dresser. I'm thankful. I would rather have a good father who prunes us and who prunes me rather than let myself be left to my own devices. Israel resisted its pruning. I pray that we don't resist our pruning. And being fruitful is so important to God the Father that he even has this warning in there about those who are not fruitful. And we could talk about the hundred different things that means, but let's just take this. It is a warning to God's people that we are called to be fruitful. 
So anytime you resist fruitfulness, anytime you resist the people of God being fruitful, you might be wandering into that sort of a branch that's fruitless. Let it be a warning to God's people at the very least because being fruitful is so important to God the Father that we are a fruitful people bearing his works in the world. Our faith is not a casual faith. I wish I could just say, hey, it's just cool. We just come on Sundays and that's it and that's the deal. I wish. But it's not. It is an intense faith where we're following Jesus. His yoke is easy, but at times our flesh makes it hard to follow Christ. We are called to be fruitful, and God even warns us what happens in some sense when we're not. So let us be a fruitful people. All right, the fourth thing. The fourth thing that I want to pull from this passage is this. Prayers become better when we abide. Okay, our prayers become better when we abide. I almost didn't include this because of how it could be taken in all sorts of ways, but I included it, so here we go. Uh, Verse 7. If you abide in me, this is verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, Jesus says something like this throughout the Gospels. Like a few different times in the Gospels, Jesus says something like this and it, it sounds to us like he's saying, pray for whatever you want and I'll answer your prayer. And I grew up in churches where they said, listen, that's true. Like, that is absolutely true. The key there is your faith, your willpower. If you have enough faith, Jesus will do whatever you want. And that's what I grew up hearing. And it always didn't hit well with me, um, probably because I'm faithless in a lot of ways. But uh, it just never hit well, hit well with me. And I think it never hit well with me because that's not what Jesus is saying. And verse 7 here in John 15 points out what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that when we abide in him, when we are so connected to him, when we are so in line with what Jesus is doing in the world, his desires become our desires. So much so that the things we pray for and desire are the things God desires and it's what he's doing in the world and so he answers your prayers. When we abide in Christ, our prayers are better because our desires change. Our desires become not our own fleshly, sinful, or just even Anthony desires and they become God's desires. So don't get goofy with this, okay? Don't get goofy with this and don't think, well, if I just abide enough, then God answers all my prayers. I I, I know. But when we abide well, I think God answers our prayers. I think our desires become his desires. And so our prayers, in a sense, uh, become better. And the people I know that pray the most tend to also be the ones who get their prayers answered the most. Again, I'm not saying pray a lot so your prayers get answered. Don't hear that at all. But a lot of the people I know that pray the most, they often think about this idea of abiding it. And they say, listen, I think what Jesus is calling us into is to go to God with everything. Jesus is saying that at the very least throughout the Gospels and a lot of times in these similar passages. He's saying, come to me with everything. And in in that act of going to God with everything in prayer, abiding happens. 
And as we go to God with everything in prayer and abiding is happening, God reshapes our desires. He speaks to us in all sorts of ways. He helps us to know what's going on. There's all, all sorts of times in my life where I've prayed for something, maybe even fervently over a time period, only to hear the Spirit gently say, that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing something else. We're going a different direction. And I was okay with it because of what the Spirit was doing in me, changing my desires. When we abide in Christ well, our prayers are better because our desires are changed and they become more like God's, or they become what God's desires are, I should say. All right. One last thing that I, I want to pull from this text is this. Abiding being pruned, being fruitful, listening to Jesus' commands, going to God with everything in prayer, this is where true human joy is found. Okay, so all the things we just talked about, living into all of that, that's where true human happiness is found. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to have joy. In the Greek, that word means joy. It means happiness. It means delight. Abiding in Christ is what will bring humanity true joy. To to which a whole bunch of my millennial friends who are leaving the church in droves right now for all sorts of reasons, they go, no, I've tried it. I've tried the Christian thing. I did the Christian thing. I was forced into the Christian thing, and it didn't bring me joy. It, bring, it brought me guilt. It brought me shame. It brought me sadness. And I would contend to my friends that they were only abiding halfway. They were forced to abide often in the ways of Christ without abiding in Christ himself. These things are linked. We're, we've been talking about this last week, this week, that there are things about God where he says these things and they're linked together. You can't have one without the other. To abide in Jesus' commands only goes well when we abide in Christ himself. You need both together, happening at both time, and that's what true abiding is. And when we truly abide, that's where joy is found. That's where happiness is found. We get joy because we're connected to Jesus. And because we're connected to Jesus, we can live out his commands. We cannot miss that we get a connection to Jesus, and that's what brings us true joy. Being a Christian at times is hard. But for me, in my life, as I've watched the most faithful Christians I know, they're almost always happy people in some sense. They're also, at times, deeply sorrowful people because they see the brokenness of this world. But there's this joy about them that is inspiring, in a sense. And it's because they're abiding in Christ, the joy giver, the one who holds all joy, the one who has all joy. 
for a lot of us who are chasing happiness, which is usually just a chase of pleasure, which I would say is different than happiness. But for those of us who are chasing happiness, I promise you this, you cannot find the kind of happiness in this world that you can find in Christ. Christ has all happiness, and it's in him. As we abide, as we are connected to Jesus, and as we live out those commands, that's where true joy is found. That's where true happiness is found. Jesus did so much in order to connect himself to us. He came to this earth so we could be connected to him. He took our sin to the cross so we could be connected to him, given his holiness. He resurrected from the dead so that we could be connected to his blessing and favor for eternity. Jesus did so much for us to be connected to him. And being connected to Jesus is where we as humans, not just Christians, where we as humans find true joy. True happiness. So all these things that I just talked about living into and how many of them sound hard and how many of them sound like survivor holding your arm up for super long. All of those things, when we abide well, will bring true happiness, true joy. Maybe not always and I can't explain why. But in the resurrection, they definitely will. Happiness, joy is found truly, wholly, and totally in Christ. Jesus is the source of life. If we practice the way of Jesus without being in Jesus himself, this becomes so much more burdensome. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in him and practicing his way of life. We don't do this without Jesus himself. If there's anything you walk away with the sermon is this. Find Jesus, abide in him, be in him, be connected to him. Don't hear this as do all these things Anthony said to do. Pray a lot, whatever. Don't do all, like find him. Be connected to him. He is the source of life. Figure out for you what that means. And I'm not saying there's like a million ways to do that. I'm just saying that we all interact with Jesus in some different ways. Find the best ways for you to interact with Jesus and interact with him. Find Jesus. Be connected to him. He's the true vine. So church, may we abide. May we abide in the true vine. May we abide in his love. And may we abide in his commandments and may our joy be full. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for, for you. So often in the Bible, how it goes is we really messed up, but we get you. Because you did all you could to be connected to us, to save us, to draw us in. God, I pray that we are a church that abides, that we abide in your love, that we abide in your commandments. God, I pray right now, specifically, like when the world makes it hard, when our friends make it hard, when those that follow you make it hard for us to abide in your commandments, I pray that you give us a supernatural ability to. God, I also want to pray for those in this room who feel sinned against, hurt, and who are sinned against and have been sinned against, and that makes it hard for them to abide in your love. I pray that you heal them and restore their heart and you make it so it is easy for them to abide in your love. 
Holy Spirit, it, it would take a miracle to do just those two things. I ask that you would give us that miracle today for each and every person in here who needs it. God, thank you for being the true vine. Thank you for grafting us in as Gentile branches. God, we need you and we love you. Amen.